Praise the Lord. Welcome to the official GVPC podcast. My name is Pastor Chris Keats. I am the pastor of Gila Valley Pentecostal Church in Safford, Arizona. We're so glad to have you here listening to this podcast. We pray that it richly blesses you. And God bless you. Last week we, uh, I taught him. I preached, kind of taught, covered some things very quickly in my teaching, and uh, I'm going to tonight. I'm going to deal with a little from a different angle. I want to talk about some things. When I was um, when I was teaching or preaching last week, I like I said, I covered it from. I just I just went through down the line on some stuff, and uh, and then in my study and reading of the word uh, this week, as I was as I was just I was just sitting there, and, and uh, usually in the morning, a lot of times in the morning I'll wake up before anybody else does because I can't sleep very well. I woke up at three o'clock this morning praying, literally praying about different things. Just woke up in prayer. And, and then after a little while, I prayed, God, let me go back to sleep because I'm so tired. Amen. And uh, But I was studying, and I, and I was just reading, and God brought something to my mind. In, the, in Matthew, the 12th chapter, I'm just going to teach a little while. I'm hoping that I can move through this relatively quickly. But at Matthew, the 12th chapter, in the first verse, the Bible says, At that time, Jesus went on the Sabbath day through the corn, and his disciples were hungry and began to pluck the ears of corn and begin to eat. Now, before I continue on, and I, I kind of hate to do it this way because it kind of leaves things hanging, but I want to deal with the concept of the Sabbath for just a moment. I may have taught the lesson. I have an entire lesson on the Sabbath and, and its implications today, but I don't. that's not what I'm teaching on, so I'm not going to go into that in, in in much depth at all tonight. If if there's a need, I will later on, or I I can probably print you my notes out on the Sabbath, uh, on this lesson if you want them. Amen. But uh, but the Bible says this. And I want to make something very clear. I just want to read a couple of scriptures about what the Sabbath is. The Bible says, "Wherefore the children of Israel, the children of Israel, shall keep the Sabbath." That's Exodus 31 and 16, to observe the Sabbath. Throughout their generations for a perpetual covenant. Amen. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. And several times through the scripture, and I could refer to uh, the lesson that I have, there are places where uh, there, there were covenants that were made between God and man, and there were covenants that were made between God and specific peoples. 
Amen. And the Sabbath was a covenant that was made specifically between God and the people of Israel. Amen. It was a sign, uh, an agreement or covenant between God and his people. It was not a covenant that was made with Gentiles or non-Jews. It was, and it was not a covenant that was made with the church. It was specifically made with the Jews. Now, the Bible says in Colossians 2 and 14, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross, having spoiled principalities and powers. He made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of holy day or the new moon uh, or of the Sabbath days. And so, and I could go into a whole lot of depth and, I'm, depth, and I may mention about it later, how that the, the, the Sabbath, the seventh day Sabbath, which is uh, celebrated or or observed on Saturday does not apply to the church. Why is that? Well, the reason is, is because the Holy Ghost is our rest. And I'll go into that a little bit more. But um, I'm not, I'm not going to deal with the Sabbath itself tonight. Just in, on a kind of a off note, I'll deal with that. Because it, it's, it's, you'll see what I mean. As the scripture continues to go on, the Bible tells us that Jesus and his disciples came through the corn they were hungry. They began to they began to shuck the corn. They began to eat it, and uh, and uh, when I was younger, I thought that was kind of uh, I thought they, you know you got to cook that stuff, you know. But I remember years ago I was picking corn in a field out of Fort Thomas, and it was honey dot corn or sugar dot corn. My wife will remember this. I got the seed and we grew it ourselves. And it was yellow and white corn. We pulled it off. It was a little piece of corn like that. I cleaned it out and we ate it right off of the. The stock, it was so sweet and so good and tender. So they were doing that. They were eating the corn as they walked through the, uh, uh, the uh, cornfield. The Bible says, when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto him, unto Jesus, Behold, thy disciples do that which is not lawful to do on the, upon the Sabbath day. And he said unto them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry, that they that were with him, how he entered into the house of God, did eat the shoe bread which was not lawful for him to eat, neither for them which were... Uh, with him, but only for the priest. Have you not read in the law how that on the Sabbath days, the priest in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? And I say unto you that in this place there is one greater than the temple. Um, there's a scripture that Jesus, uh, and I, I, was, um, I was looking at it last night, and, uh, and I think that I have completely forgotten where it was, but... Uh, there's a there's a, a, a particular scripture. Uh, it's Mount Mark the second chapter, and he it's it's kind of the same situation that they, in fact it is the same time a different uh, account of it. They began to eat the ears of corn. Pharisees came to him and he talked about that. He talked about David going eating and uh, and and of the of the shoe bread, and he said unto them the Sabbath was made for man and not man. For the Sabbath, and he said. Therefore, the Lord of man, uh, oh, the Son of man, is Lord also of the Sabbath. And so, how is it that they profaned the Sabbath? Because there were certain things that they did on the priest did in the temple. You could not kill an animal. You could not cook an animal. You could not start a fire. You couldn't do all of those things. But but there was 
specific things that the priest did during the temple. They kindled a fire, they cooked meat, and that sort of thing. And that's what he was talking about, that they did things that most everybody would not do. And he talked about David. When David went in, they were hungry, they, they were desperate, they took of the shoe bread, and so on. And he made the statement, he said, it is the Sabbath, man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man. He made that, in, it made that statement in the second chapter of Mark. Amen. And, and we look at that and we begin to realize that the Sabbath was designed not as an attack or bondage to people at that time, but it was a help. I think God understood the need for men to rest. God understood the need for men to rest, not only to rest, but with a focused rest. Amen. That the Sabbath would be holy unto the Lord. And that in six days the Lord made heaven. And on the, uh, the seventh day, the Bible said he rested and was refreshed. It's interesting how those two words are used whenever the Bible says with, a, 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 with stammering lips, and another tongue will I speak to my people, and this is the rest, uh, wherein the weary are made to rest, and this is the refreshing. And here the Bible says, on the six days the Lord made heaven and earth, on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Amen. The Holy Ghost is the Sabbath for the church. It is through the power of the Holy Ghost that we find rest in him. It's not a day, it's the Holy Ghost, it's walking with him. Amen. And um, we understand that Jesus was trying to make a point that the Sabbath was a, a was for man and was beneficial to man, that God designed it in that way, in the same way with the Spirit of the Lord. However, and the point that I'm trying to get to, and I don't want to I don't want to get sidetracked on teaching all of the things of the Sabbath and what it meant and what it does mean or doesn't mean today. But the point that I'm trying to make is that the The Sabbath, and for that matter, the entire law, as a cudgel or a club or something to beat people with. The, the definition of legalism is excesses, excessive adherence to law or formula and dependence on moral law rather than on personal religious faith. If you stress obedience apart from faith, you produce legalism. Amen. Petty legalism is something that will push people uh, away and so on. And legalism is excessive. Uh, it's, it's all about the rules. It's all about the rules, but it's not about faith. Amen. At the same time, the other side of the coin is, is that faith without works is dead. And we understand that from James. And so the Pharisees were really, really, really good legalists. They were great masters of the law, but they had no concept of mercy and grace. And he told them, he said, you've, you've forsaken these things. Amen. You've forsaken these things. And they delighted in catching others in violation of the law. It was, uh, it's funny because you could see them. They were waiting for Jesus to do something that might violate the law. Amen. Reminded me of years ago, we had a school here at the church back across the street. We had a, it was called ACE school. I don't know if you guys still use ACE. It's a, it's a great curriculum. Um, but uh, it, it, they use it a lot for homeschooling for private schools. We had an ACE school, and we had it set up where you had the desk that were against the wall, and each one, each kid had a cubicle. 
and then we would fold those things up. It was so neat because you could you could pull the, the little the dividers out and you could fold it up up against the wall. Anyway, we won't go into all of that. But you would sit with your back to the rest of the room, and you would have a little private cubicle where you could work, and um, and do your schoolwork or or not, depending on whether you were a good student or not. Amen. And um, so I won't even talk about my experiences, um, but there was one. We had a lady that came to church back then, and and she she was in a uh, let me say that she was an imposing figure. She was she was she was quite the imposing figure, and she walked around with a permanent scowl uh, drawn on her face. I mean, it was, she always had that. And I remember, and Sister Anna probably remember this too, but uh, I remember how that we would sit there, and the sister would walk along. She was the monitor. And typically what you would do is you had this clipboard, and this clipboard uh, you would take and you would, you would put it over on a desk somewhere, and if one of the kids began to violate, you would go over to the desk and you would pick it up and you would mark down a demerit. And if they got too many demerits, they got detention. And, um, and, um, and so this gal, this lady, would walk back there, and she... She loved giving demerits out. She reveled in giving demerits out. She would walk there and she would, instead of leaving the, the clipboard on one of the teacher's desks where she could walk over there and pick it up and give it a demerit, she carried it with her. And she would look over the top of the clipboard and she would watch you, just waiting for you to violate a rule so she could give you a demerit. And God help me, she sure did want to put the pastor's son in detention, I'll guarantee you that. Amen, amen. And so uh, they, it was, it was everything, she just loved that. Everything was, was judgment. Everything was judgment. I'm so grateful that there's a beautiful balance between judgment and mercy, aren't you? I had a preacher working with me one time. I knew that every time he got to preach, he's going to preach judgment and reproof. One day I pulled on my side. I said, listen, I'm going to tell you something. I said, you might ought to seek a little bit of balance in your preaching. And he did, and he, and he does great, amen. Because although we need to be told that there is a hell, we need to be told there's a heaven too, amen. I, I was thinking about this while I was coming down, and, and a thought came to, to my mind. Uh, my, my grandfather was a preacher. My pr- grandfather didn't know anything to preach, but uh, bless God, uh, there's hell, fire, and brimstone. If you don't repent, you go to hell. And that is a, a pretty good message and I thought, I wonder if he preached about heaven. I don't know if he preached about heaven, but I will tell you this. They sure did sing a lot about heaven. They sang about heaven all the time. They sang, oh, uh, they, they sing, uh, by and by, when the morning comes, and all the saints of God are gathered home. They sing, on that great getting up morning, fare thee well, fare thee well, amen. They sing, by, uh, uh, all fly away, and and, uh, and on and on, they love to sing about heaven. Amen. And I, I, I just want you to know that there needs to be that balance of judgment and mercy. I've known some preachers. They, they dearly love nailing people's hides to the wall. And if you pastor, you know how enjoyable that can be sometimes. Amen. Nailing folks' hides to the wall. I was thinking, not too long ago, I read about the sheep that they found. This sheep, uh, this sheep uh, got away from the shepherd. 
it got out into the woods, and it, it was out there for undoubtedly for years. Somehow or another, it found a place to eat and a place to drink. But the wool began to grow on this sheep. It's, it, I could preach about this sheep if I wanted to, but I'm just going to mention it. The wool began to grow on this sheep until it got so heavy, he was this massive, massive ball of wool. Literally a couple of hundred pounds of wool that was on the sheep. And, um, and he got to where he could not hardly walk. He, he, couldn't, he, he couldn't lay down. He just, he just kind of stood around. He was barely able to eat. He grew blind, not because his eyes went bad, but because his, uh, his, um, uh, the, uh, the, the wool grew over his eyes. He was having a hard time breathing because it grew around his nose. And they found him. And they found him and they brought him in. And I was thinking about this. They took him and, and it, was a, it was like a miracle because they began to shear him. The reason he had run off was because he didn't want to be sheared. He didn't want to be doing that. And he, he resisted when they first caught him as much as he could. He couldn't move much. But they began to shear him. And they sheared him down to about one-fifth of the size that he had been before because he had so much wool. And they said that the change in the demeanor of that sheep when that wool was gone. Now, you can preach about that. What a change when all I laid my burdens down. Amen. And, and it changed him. And I got to thinking about that. I thought, you know, they're going to be harvesting wool off that sheep for years. But if they'd taken him and nailed his hide to the wall, it's all over. Amen. And so there is a, there is a, I'm so thankful that there is a balance, amen, of, of judgment and that grace and mercy is extended to us. Amen. Now we understand, and I'm going to continue on. We understand that the Mosaic law is no longer in force. For Christ is the end of the law, the Bible says, uh, righteous to everyone that believeth. Galatians 2 and 16 says, knowing that man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith in Jesus Christ, of Jesus Christ. Even we believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. We understand that, that, that understanding that we are no longer under the Mosaic law does not give us liberty to live how we want to. Amen. The Bible says that the freedom that we have cannot be used for, for, uh, for uh, I'm trying to think of the word, but uh, for undue liberty, if you will. And, um, and, and it, we, we understand that, it, that by not being under the law, that God has not done away with living righteous or given us a pass on holiness since we are no under the law, but has given us a roadmap to follow. We understand, as I said, that the Holy Ghost is our Sabbath. Amen. It, today, the Sabbath means something. What it means is not the day itself, but the principle of the meaning of the day. The Sabbath was designed to be a day of rest, but since Jesus is the culmination of the Sabbath, he is our rest. He said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. And we find rest in the Holy Ghost, which was prophesied in the 28th chapter of Isaiah, as I mentioned, for with stammering lips and in the tongue 
tongue will he speak to his people? To whom he said, this is the rest where you may cause the weary to rest. And this is the refreshing, yet they would he not hear. The Bible tells us if we walk in the spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Tells us the grace of God bringeth salvation. Teaches us the denying ungodliness. And where we lust, lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Amen. And so what the understanding is this. We are not under the Mosaic law, but by the power of the Holy Ghost and the move of the Spirit and walking in the Spirit. Amen. We don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Yeah. And there's a whole New Testament. Amen. With with the, that, And if you want to call them rules, call them rules. But let's call them guidelines. Amen. There are things that the Bible says this is how you ought to live. This is how you should not live. This is how you ought to walk. This is how you should not walk. Amen. This is the things you should do. This is the things you should not do. These are the things you should wear. These are the things you should not wear. Amen. The Bible is very clear about these things, and we understand that. But what we sometimes do not understand, that those things that God has given us, the guidelines, if you will, amen, teaching us the denying uh, ungodliness and worldly lust, uh, that we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world, amen, and these convictions that God has given us, uh, and these things that God has laid down uh, for us uh, are not here to bind us in chains, uh, but to give us freedom, amen, amen, God sets boundaries, God sets lines. God says this is where you live. I'm trying to give you a little bit of, uh, of, of perspective of what I was teaching last week. Amen. Last week I just said this is what we are and gave some scripture. But I'm trying to give a little bit of perspective here. Amen. There's a reason why God wants his people to live the way he wants them to live. It's not because he's the mean hall monitor that is looking to get you in trouble. But because he understands people. He understands us. He knows where we live. He understands that we need for survival's sake to walk, walk righteously and holy before him. Amen, amen. It's not a cudgel to be beaten with. Amen. Holiness and righteousness is not a club for us to beat you with or the word of God to beat you with or God to beat you with. Amen. It is a tool that is utilized to keep the people of God safe. Amen. Amen. The Bible talks about Jesus and 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 after all of this, it, the Bible says that after he's talked about the Sabbath and that he withdrew himself from the multitudes and they followed him and he, he healed them all and he and uh, he be, the Bible says it 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 was a it was a fulfillment of what Isaiah had said. He said, "Behold, my servant, my beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased." I have put my spirit upon him, and he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not strive nor cry, neither shall any man hear his voice in the street. Then there's a beautiful, beautiful scripture here. It says, a broken, uh, a bruised reed shall he not break, and the smoking flax shall he not quench, till he send forth judgment into unto victory. Amen. And and you you begin to understand the way that God, the way that that that. 
that the Savior was operating. Amen. Amen. All of the things that, that are so important to us, we sometimes put an importance on them that God does not. It is very important. Holiness is very important. But our concept, many times if we're not careful, comes from a legalistic thing. You better do this or else. Amen. And if you dare to offend, if you are bruised by the things you do, or your embers are about to burn out, I'll break you and I'll put you out. I'll just extinguish you. And the Bible says, the bruised reed will he not break. The smoking flax will he not quench. In other words, uh, he's there to take all of this stuff. The law of Christ is not to break us apart. It's to build us up. Walking holy in him is not about being crushed, amen, by the force of God, but to grow into him. Amen, 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 amen. He knew that the inclination of the Pharisees was to break the bruise and quench the smoldering embers, but he came to heal and to reignite it. Amen, amen. Praise the Lord. And so... The, the Holy Ghost, when we receive the Holy Ghost, it, uh, it, um, it, 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 it convicts us, it works on us, it changes us. Second Corinthians 5 and 10 says this, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he had done, whether it be good or bad. So we understand that there's judgment. We understand that, and and I think that I think that there I, I know that there are a variety of judgments. The Bible speaks speaks about the great white throne judgment. It speaks about the judgment. It speaks about the judgment in the seventh chapter of Daniel. It speaks about the Matthew twenty five judgment, and and it speaks about the judgment of works, and 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 they're not all the same, and and uh, and and I do believe that the church. The church will be judged as far as whether it's going to make it or not in the rapture. The rapture will be a judgment, if you will. If you are raptured, you're judged. Amen. You've been judged. You're not going to, we're not going to stand at the judgment of nations or the great white throne judgment. I do not believe that we will because we have already been judged and we have been judged righteous. Amen. And there is a judgment of works that the Bible speaks about where we will stand before God and our works will be tried by fire but will be saved. And I could go into that and one day maybe I'll teach on all of that. But, uh, but, but there, the Bible says that we will all will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Whether it is the judgment of works or whatever it may be, we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And there are those that are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, uh, amen, and the great white throne judgment and so on. And the Bible says that knowing this, knowing this, therefore, knowing therefore, in the 11th uh, verse, the terror of the Lord. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. And it's like, oh, my Lord, have mercy. It's a terrifying thing. I'm going to tell you what, judgment is a terrifying thing. Judgment is a terrifying thing. The idea that, that, that someday, if we do not live for God, we're going to stand before God and we're going to be judged. Amen. 
And there are those that will be go that will be go to the left and go those that go to the right. We know that if we if we are are ungodly that, that we'll be judged. We know that there are books and there's a book of life and we're going to be judged. Amen. We know all of that. Amen. And it's a terrifying thing if you're not ready to meet the Lord. Amen. And knowing the terror of the Lord, knowing that there is judgment, Paul wrote, he said, we persuade men. Amen. And then he began to talk about the ministry of reconciliation. Amen. Amen. But then as it goes down a couple of the, the scriptures later after he talks about the terror of the Lord. And we understand that the fear of God is the beginning of understanding and knowledge and wisdom. We understand that. We understand that the fear of God is the beginning of that. And, the, and, and the, it was, and a lot of times people will try to take that word fear and twist it around to where it means, well, just, just respect. No, there's points where, where people need to be flat out scared of the judgment of God. Let me say that again. There are times when people need to be flat out scared of the judgment of God. I am scared of hell. I'm scared enough of hell, I don't want to go there. There is terror involved in that. Amen. Amen. And so we, we look at that. I, I'm, I'm working on some things here. We look at that, and there's terror. And so we persuade men because we understand that, that we need to tell them about the gospel and so on. But then there's this beautiful balance as he goes on. He says, for the love of Christ constraineth us. For the love of Christ constraineth us. He died for us. Amen. Amen. So that we can live and so on. And he says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Amen. And, and he says, but the love of Christ constraineth us. Interesting word there. It's not making people bound. It's not making people bound. In fact, the word constraineth is kind of an interesting word there. It can be used in that in that, in that. Uh, idea or, or facet, but it, it is, it, it means, it, it literally means to hold together, to impel, to urge. The love of Christ holds us together, constrains us. We are walking in a culture that is chaos and anarchy, but the love of Christ constrains us. Amen. You ever heard somebody say, you need to hold it together. The love of Christ holds you together. It doesn't just hold you together. It impels you, pushes you, urges you, moves you in the right direction. This is what, this is why we teach and live and walk in holiness. It's the love of Christ. It's the Holy Ghost teaching us what we ought to do. It constrains us. It holds us together. Sister Christina thinks I'm going to step off the end of this. <laughs> it holds us together. Amen. Amen. 
Amen. You know what it is, Sister Christina? It's holiness is like this. When I'm walking here, when I feel that little hard piece, I know I better not go any further. And that's what a good standard does. It says, here's where you stop. Amen. Amen. I just had that come to my mind. Amen. But uh, so, so there are, there are so many vile forces. Why do you teach holiness? I mean, are you trying to beat us over the head? Are you trying to use the cudgel? Are you playing the hall monitor and trying to find us doing something wrong? Is that what it's about? No. There's so many vile forces in our culture. There's demonic forces. There's works of the flesh. You don't even have, you don't need demons to be bad. Amen. They would love for you to go play in the highway of death. But the love of Christ constraineth us. And it says, no, you want to stay off the Broadway. Here is the exit off the Broadway, the straight and narrow. Amen. This is the way you go. This is the way you live. Amen. In fact, that straight means to be restrained or constrained. Amen. So I'm trying to give a little bit of a perspective why we teach what we teach. Because we live in a time, amen, that is, 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 is terrible. <laughs> amen. It is full of every sinful thing you can possibly imagine. It's full of everything that you can possibly see and, and bring to mind. And it is doing its best to attack the church. And if there's ever a time in our existence as a church... Yeah, we need to say, this is where we are. This is what we are. God, wrap your arms around me. Amen. Put me on the right track. Amen. Chastise me if need be. Work me and, and mold me and make me. Amen. Because I understand that if I allow myself to be influenced by the things of the world, it will destroy me. Amen. 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 Just can go a little bit longer. I've been thinking about something recently, and I'm on, I mentioned this last night in prayer meeting, and this is kind of a, it's been on my mind off and on all day, in fact, for a couple of days, and that is a revival that is happening in Asbury, Kentucky. I've been reading about it. I've been hearing a lot of people talk about it. I, I, I've read some accounts of what's happening there. It's fascinating what's going on there. And what happened there was there was a speaker at it's Asbury. Asbury is a college in Kentucky. And, and this college is, uh, this isn't the first time that this happened. It's a Wesleyan Holiness type college in Kentucky. Uh, they are not apostolic, but... but uh, uh, in 1970, I think another time, may, a couple times going way back, they've had quite a move of God in their midst. And, uh, and so somebody was talking, um, speaking, and conviction began to move over the crowd. And they just began to pray. And they, they just began to pray. And they prayed, and they began to pray for hours and hours and hours and hours. And people had become, it, it, uh, it went out, and, and uh, it's, become, it's become kind of a... Um, kind of one of these, uh, you see them, the, the Pensacola Revival, the Brownsville Re Revival, the Toronto Airport Renewing, and a whole bunch of stuff that's went on over the years. It's kind of along that, but it seems in some ways a little different, uh, at least at first 
at first glance, it seems a little different. And what I've noticed in this specific deal, I was reading about it. I was reading about some of the things that were happening in it. I've noticed that, that you're not seeing an outpouring of the Holy Ghost, at least not yet. And I was telling my wife today, I'd love to see. It would be wonderful if somewhere along the line, suddenly, spontaneously, the Holy Ghost began to be poured out upon that place. You're not seeing an outpouring of the Holy Ghost. You're not seeing healing. You're not seeing any of that. But what you are seeing, it is a revival in the sense that there is a revival undoubtedly. And I don't know all the ins and outs, and there may be things I don't know about it. It's a revival of repentance. They're repenting. They're re that's what they're doing. They're repenting. They're confessing, and they're repenting and repenting and repenting. Thousands of people come, and mostly it's repentance. Now, I don't know where this will go. There's no form or fashion to it. There's no, there's no constraints that are, being, that are going on uh, there. It's just kind of a free flow thing. And, and you can go back through the history of the church and movements in, in the church world. Uh, there is a, I, I, I've noticed these little, um, uh, I've noticed these little um, advertisements on on, on, on the internet, Facebook, these things will pop up or wherever they are that will pop up. And it's talking about uh, the Jesus people back in the 60s and 70s with Chuck Smith and all that sort of stuff. And uh, they made a, I think they made a movie about it. But anyway, and, uh, and so, and, uh, and I'm not particularly interested, but I see it keep popping up. And I, I have read about those things and, and the move of God. And let me say this, God is God. God is sovereign. God will move where God wants to move. If, if, if hungry people begin to seek God in a Hindu temple and God wanted to move, God can move in a Hindu temple. Amen. Now the Bible says the true worshipers are going to worship him in spirit and in truth. But there, there's a sovereign move of God that is happening. Just like there was a... a um, a sovereign move of God in the Jesus people thing. It, it was like nothing you've ever seen. Just like there was a sovereign move of God in the, in the latter rain stuff. And a sovereign move of God probably uh, in Brownsville and Pensacola and, and, and all of these things. Uh, amen. And they just it was just kind of a free-flowing thing. And that works for a while and then it, it's unsustainable. There has to be something that begins to happen there. And... And I, I, I've read so much about Azusa and that sort of thing. But somebody made a statement. They said a mighty river. If you remove the banks of a mighty river, it becomes a murky swamp. If you remove the banks of a mighty river, it becomes a murky swamp. So God begins to move, but God has set, set forth apostolic ministry in the church. Amen. To guide and direct the way the church moves. There has to be apostolic ministry in the church. That's why there's pastors, teachers, apostles, prophets, teachers. They're, they're guiding and directing. It's not just, it, it, there, there may be times of a free flow. And there should always be liberty. But it's always done decently and in order. Amen. And there's reasons why God puts strictures in the church and why God sets rules, if you will, in the church and says, this is the way we're going to do it and this is the way I want you to live. This is how I want you to dress. This is how I want you to worship. This is how I want you to pray, etc., etc., etc. Because if you're not careful, 
Chaos can take over. Chaos in your life, chaos in the service, chaos in everything else. It'll just go crazy. Amen. So God says, here's the way it is. Amen. And so, so we, we, we look at all of this, and, and, and there's a reason I talked about that. There, what I pray will happen, and I've been praying for the Asbury revival. I pray that somewhere a voice will begin to stand up in that revival and begin to speak truth to these people. That repentance uh, will move into someone standing up and saying, we need to be baptized in Jesus' name. Because that's the way they baptized uh, in the New Testament. Uh, why don't you let the Holy Ghost uh, begin to move? Amen. This is what happened at a royal seco when Ari, Ari McAllister stood up and he said, you know, I just noticed something that they never baptized in the titles in the New Testament in the church. They always baptize in Jesus' name. Having a tremendous revival. They baptized 600 people there. They didn't baptize them in Jesus' name. But something was happening there. Because John Shep and brother, I believe it was brother uh, Boffman talked about it. Begins to pray through the night and God began to reveal to him truth. And God began to build the constraints, not the bondage, but the constraints. The love of God constraineth us. God began to develop the constraints and people begin to flow into the move of the Spirit and follow the truth of the doctrine. Amen. Amen. And so the reason we preach what we preach is not because we like to put people into bondage, but because it is through the guidance of the Spirit that you get where you need to go. Amen. The mighty Mississippi, the mighty Mississippi, it it takes massive amounts of water from the entire almost the entire eastern seaboard, everything west uh, of the Appalachians and the, and the Ozarks flows, uh, and, and, and east of the Continental Divide and the Rockies flows uh, into, um, into, uh, <coughs> into the Mississippi River. And it's interesting how a river works. <coughs> the, it comes together and it flows into the banks of the river. There are times that it breaks the banks. And it's interesting that in some rivers how that, that works. There, there, are, there are those wonderful times of bank-breaking moves of God. The Nile River would break its banks and would flood and put all the soil out there. But it went back into its banks and flowed into the sea like it's supposed to. It didn't wander off into the mountains of Africa and, and so on. It, it took care of business. But there are times when God's spirit just... Pours all everything, but then it, it continues into the constraints of apostolic doctrine and apostolic authority and, and apostolic holiness. Because otherwise, it's not going to get where it's supposed to go. Amen. Am I making sense to you? Amen. The Spirit of God moves within the guidelines of the Word of God. Our life needs to be within the guidelines of the Word of God. Amen. We need to worship Him in spirit and in truth. Amen. So 
we, we have the liberty. The Bible says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But in that liberty is the love of Christ that constrains us. And we walk in holiness and we walk in righteousness and we walk in truth. And if we will do that and let the spirit move, there is no telling what God can do. But what I've noticed about the many movements and and it's interesting, I could go on and on about this because I've looked at this stuff and I've studied it. The many movements that you see, that as time goes on, they fizzle out because they lose the, the verve that they have. Amen. Because they don't have, they don't, they, they, they get out of the banks and they wander all over the landscape and they become stale. They do. Because there's nothing to guide them. There's no doctrinal concepts. There's no, there's no word of God that tells them where to go. And they wander back and forth and we're free, we're free, we're free. And then the next thing you know, they're, they're stranded in the spiritual landscape and they become stale. And the spiritual landscape is littered with people who walked away from apostolic teaching because they wanted to be free. And today have nothing anymore. They don't have the spirit that they wanted. They don't have the holiness that they used to have. They don't have anything before. Because they're not, they, they, said, they wanted to throw off the constraints. But the love of Christ constrains us. Amen. The love of Christ constrains us. I know that, that uh, more than anything else in this, in this world, I want to see revival and a move of God. I also know that in the midst of this, I want to see a church that stands righteously and strong before God. I want a church that preaches truth, that preaches the apostolic doctrine, that preaches the oneness of God, that preaches Acts 2.38, the new birth, that preaches holiness, but the power of God moves in the midst of it. But we have got to allow God to guide us. See, we cannot guide God. We've got to allow God to guide us. How does he guide us? He guides us with the spirit and he guides us with his word. Amen. We have to be submitted to the word of God. I'm grateful for the presence of the Holy Ghost. I'm grateful for the mercy of God. I'm grateful for what God does in our lives grateful for the liberty that he gives us in the spirit. Amen. I'm also grateful for the fact that I know the word of God and I love the word of God and I want to stay in the word of God. Amen. 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 Well, bless God. Isn't God good? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I want to give perspective to what I've been teaching and talking about. The reason why we live the way that we live. There are dangerous, dangerous things out there. There are, there are enemies out there. They will take advantage of our naive, 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 being naive. How do you say that word? Naivety, naivety. You know, you know what I'm talking about. They will take advantage of that. I can spell it, but I can't say it. They will take advantage of that. And if we are foolish and silly, the Bible speaks of silly women. 
And that's just not women. I've said that before. Speaks of people. There's a lot of men that are silly women. He speaks of people heaping to themselves teachers, having itching ears. Amen. So we keep our focus on what is right. Amen. There's a reason why we preach this wonderful apostolic doctrine. There's a reason why we preach holiness. There's a reason why we preach righteousness. There's a reason why we stand here. Because outside are dogs. Outside are demonic forces. And they will take advantage of those that turn from that. Why don't we stand and love the Lord? Thank you, Jesus. God, you are so worthy. I worship you, Lord. I worship you, Lord. Jesus, I bless your holy name. I bless your holy name. I bless your holy name. Jesus, I magnify you. You are great and greatly to be praised. You are worthy to be praised. You are a good God, and I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. I love the truth of God's Word. The reason I stand where I do and I preach what I preach is, as I've mentioned many times, many years ago, my father and my mother made a decision that they were going to hitch their wagon to apostolic truth. They had, they had begun to wander away from it, and they began to play games with, with the world. But they made their decision, and I am grateful to this day that mom and dad stood together and said, we are going to go back to Brother Lane's church, and we are going to submit ourselves to our pastor, and we're going to live for the Lord because we've made a mistake. And they did, and because they did, did that, God blessed them, and God helped them. And today I stand before you as a preacher of truth because mom and dad made the right decisions. They made the right decisions. They said, we're going to submit ourselves to apostolic constraint. Amen. Because we love this truth too much to walk away from it. And they did. They always did. It changed my dad. changed my mother. It changed my life. Amen. And God is good. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You are dismissed in Jesus' name. Sister Brenda, it's good to see you.